Well, good morning, church. It is good to be here. Um, if you want to, you can go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 2. And while you're turning there, I want to talk a little bit about the time when Sarah was due with Simeon a few years ago. And so she is due with him, and we were tasked with what is probably the most daunting prospect that any parent faces. You know what that is? Picking out a name. (laughs) Picking out a name, because you know that everybody has an opinion on the name you pick out, right? And some people, you tell them their name, the name that you're decided on, we'd say, oh, we're going to name him Simeon. People would say, oh, well, that's, that's nice. And it gets even more troubling whenever one of you wants to name your kid something really weird, right? And the other, one looks at you, the other one of you looks at them and says, why would you ever name your kid that? I won't give you any examples because I don't know enough of you yet to know <laughs> if that name uh, is represented here in the congregation. So we won't worry about that. So for us, the first name, though, was a bit harder and we finally landed on Simeon. But before I even knew Sarah, I knew what I wanted to name my firstborn son, at least his middle name. And the middle name I wanted to give him was Thomas, and not for any real important spiritual reason, right? Um, But really just because Thomas is my middle name, which in itself isn't a big deal, but my father's middle name is Thomas too. And so because of that, I value that connection to my father, and I want to be able to pass down that name to Simeon, and hopefully he will pass that middle name down to his son, The things that we value, we pass down. Is there something that you maybe have that was entrusted to you, that someone gave to you, and it came maybe from a long line of people? Maybe for you it was a name someone gave you, and it's the name that your great-great-great-grandpa was named. Or maybe it was a certain tradition that you did at Christmas, some uh, thing that, that no other family does. Maybe it's a recipe for tea. Maybe it's a recipe for biscuits. Or maybe it's a baseball. Or maybe it's a chest of drawers that is 150 years old. Or maybe it's some other item. Whatever it is, can you think of something that's been passed down to you? Why was it passed down to you? Usually we do this because we don't want these things to die out. And we don't want these things to get lost. We do it because at the end of the day, these things matter to us, and we want these things to continue. We don't want that old chest of drawers to get thrown out into the dump. We want our relatives, we want those who come after us to value those things like we did. We pass down things that are precious to us, because we want others to experience those things. So the question for us today is this, before we go to the text, are you passing down the gospel. Second Timothy 2, verse 2 says this, And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, first of all. We thank you uh, that you have given it to us, you gave it to your people, 
long ago. You've protected it, and you've allowed it to be passed down over all these years, Lord. We ask that as we look at your word this morning, that you would do that thing that only you can do by your spirit, which is illuminating these scriptures to us. And Lord, we want to have this illumination, this light shown on these scriptures, on this verse here. A light that helps us to understand it, maybe with our minds, but even greater, um, that we would understand this with our hearts. That your spirit would be convicting us and encouraging us to live out the truth that we find here today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When you hear me preach, um, which hopefully after today will still happen, you will, hear, you will hear me do a main idea, okay? And so I like to just set out a main idea, and really that helps me, and then hopefully it helps you too. So the main idea is this. I'm going to say it a couple times. You can write it down if you're keeping score there. Um, it says this. The kingdom of God grows through passing down the gospel. The kingdom of God grows, or the kingdom, I should say, grows through passing down the gospel. Here's what that means. It means the gospel doesn't just randomly pop up here or there. There are a very few special cases where if you've looked and been reading about missions um, in places like the Middle East, where in very rare occasions, but happening more now, it seems that Christ appears um, to someone who is Muslim and, and tells them about his gospel. That is incredibly rare. The other 99.9999999% of the maybe that's too much. 99.999, we'll go with that. Percent of the time, someone experiences salvation through Christ because someone else told them how they can know that same salvation through Christ. So we're going to see this unfolding today uh, in these three points. And they're really, these three points are just the text broken up into three parts. The first point is this, what you have heard. What you have heard. Paul is encouraging Timothy here to be strengthened. So he's saying, I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be encouraged to be able to do what it is that God has called you to do, Timothy. And what is it that he has called him to do? What's to tell what he has heard? So what you have heard but what is that thing that Timothy has heard? It's something that, first of all, he heard in the presence of many witnesses. Another way to say that really it's just been confirmed. This is something that you heard among many witnesses, and they heard it. You shouldn't be able to distort it. You probably didn't get a bad gospel, a false gospel. It was in the presence of many witnesses. So again, what is it? It is the gospel. We want to see it as Paul describes it, as he lays it out here in 2 Timothy. And so in two different ways, he's referred to it earlier in this letter. The first one is in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. He talks about this thing called the good deposit. So probably on the page before, maybe even on the same page you see this, this idea of the good deposit. How is the gospel, though, a good deposit? It's a deposit in the sense that it's something that has been entrusted to Timothy. I usually think about a deposit as, as a, uh, a verb, right? Something you do. You go to the bank and you deposit your check. But he's using it here as a noun. 
as a thing. So whenever you deposit something, it is, a, it is the deposit. So this deposit here, uh, one definition we might give is this. It's property that has been entrusted to someone else who then takes responsibility for it. So for us, it's like that recipe for tea that had been entrusted to Josh. Maybe it's a baseball with lots of great autographs on it. Maybe it's that name. Whatever it is, it has been entrusted. And the idea is that you're responsible for this now. You have to take care of it. Well, the gospel has been entrusted to Timothy here. But it's so much more than a recipe for tea, as great as I'm sure that is. I've actually not had it, I don't think. But as great as I'm sure that is, as awesome as a baseball with all, um, all the greats autographing it, whatever it is, how much more precious is the gospel to be entrusted to him? So, first of all, it is this good deposit, this thing that's been entrusted to you that is of great value. Well, a verse before that, 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, Paul refers to it as the pattern of sound words. The pattern of sound words. The gospel is a pattern of sound words because it is something that is verbally given. It certainly is something which is lived, but it's also, and primarily, something that is proclaimed. It's spoken. That's why Paul in Romans says, how can they hear unless someone preaches, unless someone proclaims it, unless someone verbally says, this is the gospel? How can people hear? And I make this point really just because so often, and I'm guilty of this too, a lot of us want to kind of do this thing where we say, well, I'm just going to try to live out the gospel and hope that people figure it out. But Paul says, how can they hear unless someone preaches? How can they believe unless they hear. So this gospel isn't just whatever words you come up with. It's this actual pattern of sound words. And for me, and you'll probably catch this some, I know the students will, and I've actually talked about this already with church, a little bit about church history. Um, I'm very passionate about historic Christianity. Um, there was a time for me where my knowledge and understanding of Christianity maybe uh, went back to like 1980, maybe 1950. But there was a lot to be said, to be gleaned of value from historic Christianity. And we know that as we look back throughout the last 2,000 years, that they didn't get everything right, okay? Christians, we, we have messed some stuff up. We have not gotten it all right. But if we look back, we can see this constant thread running throughout the entirety of church history, which is this pattern of sound words. It's this thing that isn't relative in each generation. It's not changing, but it follows the same pattern from the time that Jesus came and is proclaiming the gospel even before he went to the cross, to the apostles, and to now, 2,000 years later. We're not creating a new gospel every single generation, but we follow the pattern of sound words. So this is what you have heard. It's not just moral living. It's not just a way of belief, but it is the gospel that Christ died for your sins. It is this gospel which means good news. Literally, that's what it means. This gospel that means good news that says this. You are a sinner. You are an enemy of God. But Christ died to take all the wrath of God for you. And now you are not an enemy, but you are a son. You are a daughter by believing in Christ 
following him. This is the gospel, and this is the good news, that Jesus saves sinners. So this is what he is saying that Timothy has heard, and hopefully for all of us, and I believe that this is the case, that you have been hearing this true gospel, that you have heard the good news that Jesus saves sinners. So what you have heard, entrust to faithful men. This is our second point. Entrust to faithful men. Now for Paul and Timothy's context, they're talking about church leadership. He is speaking about Timothy finding leaders. But this is still for us today. We still hope that we are entrusting the gospel to faithful men and women. We have to understand this for ourselves. We exist because the apostles took this message seriously. And they entrusted it to someone who entrusted it to someone who entrusted it to someone. You didn't just pop up out of nowhere 2,000 years later. This gospel has been moving through history for the past 2,000 years. And now it has finally been entrusted to us. And we are now the newest generation, all of us in here. Though we maybe are technically of different generations. We are the newest generation who have been entrusted with this gospel. Who are at the end of this long line where the gospel has been passed down from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. Now here's what we have to understand about this, though. Our goal, and the goal of those who came before us, is not just to make converts. Our goal is to do more than that. Our goal is to make disciples. Here's why. Because to make a convert... You tell them the gospel, and maybe they believe it. Maybe there's some kind of mental assent that happens. And they say, okay, I can get down with that. I can get down with the fact that Jesus is God. I can get down with the fact that he died for my sins. But to make a disciple, you don't just bring them to a point of decision. You bring them to a place of actually where you entrust the gospel to them, and they take it. And they learn to treasure that gospel. And they learn to desire, to entrust that gospel to other people. It's coming to this place of actually seeing it as a good deposit, as seeing it as a pattern of sound words. Matthew 28 speaks of this, where Jesus says to go and make disciples. He doesn't say to go and make converts. That's something totally different. He says, go and make disciples. And he says, how? How do we make disciples? by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now this is seeing discipleship out to all of life. There's this point of initiation that comes, and that's the baptizing them, right? That is a sign of their belief and their profession, their verbal profession of faith. But it goes on. That's just making converts. Making disciples is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And observe isn't just a look at. We think about observing something and you go up to um, an observation lookout and look at all the pretty fall colors maybe on the parkway or something like that. That's not the observing where you look from afar and you're like, oh man, look how pretty that is. The idea here of, of observing is actually living those things out, obeying that reality. Understand this, church. By and large, Christianity today, American Christianity, we are not very good at this. We love to make converts. We love to throw great big rallies and revivals 
And we'd like to see people walk the aisle. We'd like to see tears streaming down their face. And that's a great thing, because that's the initiation. That's the beginning. We love that. But sometimes we really stink at making disciples. Now, I'm, I'm going to get something here. Becoming a children's and youth pastor has actually made me understand props better, and Josh has helped me understand, or not props, illustrations and pictures. And so, luckily, this is just God's providence, um, one of our students, or a couple of our students, have these baby dolls, which I'm going to try to not set off this morning. And this is not a real baby. Um, I was going to just talk about my daughter, who, this is actually a picture from this morning, isn't she beautiful? She's really great. <laughs> But I, I saw one of our students have these dolls, which I think the high school um, has you carry around, hopefully, to help you make wise decisions about when to start your family. Um, what is, that, that's a nice big way of, of saying it. Um, to make wise decisions about when to start your family. And so I saw this baby doll and said, this is actually going to be really helpful. Okay? So picture this. And really, I'm using this, too, because I'd like to use Evangeline and have her up here. Um, but she is much less predictable than... <laughs> this inanimate baby. So imagine this. Sarah and I, we, well, I was going to say we just had Evangeline, but really Sarah had Evangeline. Um, and I sat there and was supportive. Um, but we, Sarah just had Evangeline. And after all of this preparation, we do all of these things where we are getting ready for that moment of birth, right? We're going to the classes. We're doing our breathing exercises. Um, we are getting the nursery Ready. We're doing all these things to get ready for the one moment of birth to happen. After all this preparation and all this hard work, mostly on Sarah's part, let's just be real. We get this baby, and we're so excited about her, and we're getting ready to leave the hospital. But then all of a sudden, instead of taking her with us, we actually just go and we look at her in the nursery, I know she's in a car seat now, but just imagine. She's in one of those nursery, the, the clear things, right? And we say, Evangeline, you're so beautiful. We love you. This is a great time. Good luck with life. <laughs> and we leave. What would happen to us as parents? We would get arrested for neglect, right? We would get arrested for abusing that child and neglecting that child and abandoning them. I understand this, church. This is what we do when we think that the Great Commission is fulfilled by making converts and not making disciples. We do all this work, we pray all this time, we take a person to church, we get them to this rally, this revival, and they walk the aisle and they pray a prayer and there's tears streaming down, down their face. And we even pray with them afterwards. We go get some ice cream and talk about you know, how great it's going to be. And then we never, ever do anything to help them understand what it means to observe all that he has commanded them. We are doing what is the equivalent of spiritual abandonment, spiritual neglect. And if we did this with our own children, we would get arrested. We are entrusted with this gospel, just like Sarah and I were entrusted with this baby. And there is so much more to teach this child than just to say, hey, you're born, good luck with life. But it's 18, hopefully, long years of them being in our house, telling them day in, day out, hey, do this, don't do that. Don't throw your trash on the ground, put it in the trash can. Take a bath because you smell. All of these things, the little things that make living life, you know, that, that make life happen, 
and help you have a healthy life. And if that takes 18 years to raise a human, what makes us think that we can just abandon someone whenever they are just a new baby in Christ spiritually? Understand, church, we are entrusted with this gospel, this good news. And the kingdom is growing because the gospel gets entrusted to others. But to those whom it is entrusted, it must keep going. They must carry on the line. And understand this too, that if we were just to abandon Evangeline, if we were just to abandon Simeon, that hope I have of one day one kid taking on that name Thomas, some firstborn boy in a line, that would not be a reality because we would have abandoned that child. The line cannot continue when spiritual abandonment occurs. We must be entrusting to others. But not just entrusting, but entrusting to those who will, point three, be able to teach others also. This family line only continues when we teach others to teach others. Now, Paul here has in mind those who are going to keep the gospel and who are going to protect it and who are going to fulfill the role of an elder. They must be able to teach. That is a requirement for this role of this elder pastor. They don't just teach to hear their own voice, but they teach so that others can learn from them. But as we think about this for all Christians, we think about this whole Great Commission, which is the call to share Jesus with the entire world. It's a big task. And it's a huge task. And it's so big that if we aim to only go it alone, to only be us doing the teaching, to say, well, I'm just going to teach everyone that I come in contact with, we actually aren't going to be very successful. You will not do very well at making a family line, at making a lineage, by only caring about if you are reproducing. You have to be teaching those whom you teach, to teach others. Entrusting those whom you entrust the gospel with, teaching them to entrust it to others. You have to be able to share the load. You have to be able to pass it off to entrust and to let it grow. The kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is like a tree. And he uses this uh, picture multiple times throughout the gospels. And he uses it in different ways. I want to talk about the idea of just how it's a tree growing, which is one way that he talks about it. And whenever you look at a tree, and on the screen there's a picture of a tree, you have branches that branch out, and you start at the trunk, right? And Jesus actually even uses this terminology, speaking of a vine, right? He says, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Well, there's this trunk, the central part, Christ himself and the gospel. And out of that trunk come branches that branch off, and they split, and they go in every which direction. And new branches form off of those branches, but here's the thing. As a trunk grows and then a branch comes off of it, if that branch is unhealthy, new branches do not form on it. Those branches that are healthy, new branches do form. And here's the thing we have to understand too, that healthy branches don't just grow themselves. If a branch grows and then it stops growing, is it actually healthy? Is it doing all that it's supposed to do? No, there's something wrong with it. Because the branch is supposed to grow, and then it sends out other shoots. Pastor Bill Hull told a story of what he said to students at the beginning of the semester. He was a professor at Biola University. And here's what he said. And I'm not sure if he ever, um, in the book I looked at, I just briefly looked at it. So I don't know if he actually went through with this, um, but let's hope not. 
He said, after every class, you will find one person, and you're going to teach everything that you learn from me each week. And this is going to continue for the entire semester. And at the end of the semester, that person will come to class, and they're going to take the exam for you. Your success depends upon how well you invest what you learn in another person. The question for us is this. If that were us with the Christian life, would we pass? Would we pass? Have we passed on the reality of the gospel? We also look to the examples of Scripture. We consider like the faith of Paul, who as Josh shared this morning, Paul instructed Timothy to instruct faithful men who will teach others. We go to the book of Acts and we can see how Paul disciples Aquila and Priscilla, who then ends up down the road discipling Apollos, who by the time we get to 1 Corinthians is a great teacher, maybe even on par with Paul to the greater culture, because Paul talks about some people who say, well, I follow Paul. And others say, I follow Apollos. And we see how this line created great things for the kingdom of God. So as we are wrapping up, questions that I want us to consider is this. If you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, how are you going to take the gospel that has been entrusted to you? This gospel of great value, of great worth, precious as it is because it saves our souls from hell. It gives us a hope and a future. How are you going to take that gospel and how will you entrust it to others? Not just tell it to others in passing, but actually be entrusting it to them. Maybe for you it looks like going and creating relationships with students and tribe. Maybe it looks like you going to a friend at work or school and sharing this gospel with them. And at the point of the decision, not just abandoning them, but continuing on, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. Maybe for you, it's deciding to be intentional with your children. Because something you're going to hear me say a lot is this. One of the best ways to make disciples, and I would even argue maybe the best way to make disciples, is to raise them. It's deciding to be intentional with your children. And not just hoping that this gospel, this beautiful worth, gospel of great worth, just rubs off on them whenever they go to church, but actually teach them about it. Will you take these things and not just make converts, church, but actually make disciples, students of Jesus who observe all that he has commanded them? Will you teach them so that they can teach others? We will find that if we don't do this, first of all, on the very basic level, we're missing out on the great blessing for ourselves. But on top of that, beyond that, we have to understand something. That we are sinning by not doing what Christ commanded us to do. So often we think about sin in really just one category. You did something you shouldn't have done. Those are sins of what we call commission. If you want to be technical about it. Sins of commission. You did something that you were not supposed to do. But then there are these sins called sins of omission. And you won't necessarily find like this word commission and omission in the Bible, which is a way of categorizing these things and thinking about them. We leave off sins of omission a lot. Sin of omission is the thing that you omit, the thing that you have been called to do and you have failed to do it. And for a lot of this church, I'm afraid that we have failed, myself included, to make disciples. 
we have failed to be concerned about the great worth of this gospel entrusted to us. And for that, we actually need to repent of the fact that we are not passing this thing down as we should. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you say, I know that I've never heard this gospel, maybe. Maybe you've heard it and you've never believed in it. Maybe you've heard it and you maybe on some level think that Jesus maybe is God, but you've not submitted your life to him. My encouragement to you, my invitation to you this morning is this. This long line of faith that has existed for thousands of years, this lineage, you can be a part of it. You can become a part of this great family of God. You can become part of something greater than yourself. You can become a child of God where once before, maybe even now, as you're sitting here, the Bible would say that you're an enemy of God. And for all of us who are now children of God, once we were enemies, once we were far off, once we wanted nothing in our life to glorify God. But you can join the lineage. You can come to Christ, believing in his work on the cross, where he died for your sins, paying the payment that you couldn't pay giving you the righteousness before God that you could not achieve. This is the invitation to you. You, may, you can, and I hope that you will, join the family. Last thing I want to say is this is a quote from a guy named Robbie, Robbie Gallaty, um, a big kind of guru in uh, discipleship and disciple-making. Here's what he says. When the church becomes an end in itself, it ends. When Sunday school, as great as it is, becomes an end in itself, it ends. When small group ministry becomes an end in itself, it ends. When the worship service becomes an end in itself, it ends. What we need is for discipleship to become the goal, and then the process never ends. The process is fluid, it's moving, it's active, it's a living thing, and it must continue to go on. Every disciple must make disciples.